You know, there are times where you come to a passage of Scripture and as a pastor, you approach it from the standpoint of, I'm so excited to just preach this passage. And then there's other times you come to passages where you just really feel like you're on hollowed ground. This is one of them. Just over the week, having spent time in this, it's it's interesting going through it, if you will, from my shoes. How do I declare this? And God, I just want to represent your word right. And And then there's times where it's like, (laughs) we just need to be awed by this passage. This is one of those days. I want us to go to John chapter 17. And I want for us to adore this passage. Let me set some groundwork here for it. In fact, uh, with your Bibles open there, if you can look from John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, if you have what's called a red letter edition of the Bible where all the words of Christ are in red, printed in red, look at that. If you don't have one, look over to someone maybe next to you who does and You see a lot of red letters from chapter 13 through chapter 17. That means that Jesus has been talking a lot. And um, this is all in one evening, one night. All of this text, uh, the disciples haven't had the time to sit around and have it written out for them and know the rest of the story to be able to bring in on all the implications and truths that are contained within the words. They were in the situation where they're just hearing Jesus speak and trying to take as much as they can in. And yet later on, they'll get it as the Spirit comes and helps them to understand. And there's a lot of red letters here. Now I'd like for you to look past John 17 and look into John chapter 18. And (laughs) where'd all the red letters go? Uh, They have reduced significantly. In fact, look at the beginning of John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out. The cross is right around the corner. Literally right around the corner. And the words that we're going to read here in John chapter 17, these are in essence, if you will, the last words he's read to his disciples all around an evening. And this is a special evening, not because the the cross is coming and we know the rest of the story, but it's a special evening, one, because it's just around dinner. There's something very special about dinner. There's something special about eating together, isn't there? You know, as a pastor, when I first came here, one of the objectives I had is uh, I was going to try and do as many of possible kind of meetings uh, with people at breakfast and lunch because there's something relational about eating together. And uh, ministry in life is not just about the tasks and the functions, but it's about relationship. I don't just want to know what's happening or you to know what's happening or to just to be able to pass knowing information together. There's relationship that takes place. And so often that takes place around food. It's a special thing. And that's what was happening on this evening. Also, this was the last evening 
with the disciples. And that makes it a very special evening. And so Jesus has, over this time, has been downloading into these men. We saw it in the beginning of the text where in John 13, where Jesus washes their feet and he gives them a command to love one another like that. And then after the giving them the command, he, he in essence goes into telling them uh, how they're equipped to be able to live out this command and all the wonderful things that, that the Lord God has provided. You see, the command is relationship and the equipping is a, re, is a, is a reality relationship from God to us. And then in it, he then tells them what he expects of them. John chapter 15, that you are to be abiding the branch. We're the branch and the branch is to be abiding in the the tree, in the vine, in in the trunk of the tree. Christ is the trunk. Christ is the life. And the branch has no life in itself. But when the branch is connected into the vine, it has life. And how do we know that it has life? We know that it has life when that branch produces fruit. And Jesus tells us, listen, I have a command for you and, and I've equipped you for it and, and this is what I expect for you to be fruit-producing kind of a people of mine. And then he goes on and he tells them as well, hey, this is what you can expect when you live that way. Uh, pursue after that two things. One is you can expect to be hated by this world. You see, the core foundation of this world is against everything that Christ is about. And that is going to be symbolized very soon here in the fact of the cross. And yet also, Christ then tells you can also expect the Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to fully indwell you to allow you to be capable to be able to do all of this stuff. Otherwise, this is impossible. And the dinner evening is coming to an end, except for chapter 17. Look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, what we're just talking about, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, (laughs) What a picture. I mean, there he is. I, I, I don't even think they've gotten out of the house yet. I don't know. They may have been on their way. I'm not quite sure. But I actually, I, I think they probably haven't even gotten out of the house. And so there Jesus is there and he's given him all, had this talk. I don't know. It's probably been maybe a half an hour of discussion on his, on his side of things. And then he just like stops the whole thing right there and he turns his head to heaven. That's pretty cool. And he starts praying. And all the guys are there. They're all there. And they hear this prayer. Let's begin digging into this prayer. By the way, on your notes, you have no outline. It's just a blank page. That's on purpose. I just want for us to hollowed ground this text. And as the text speaks, if there's something you need to note down to keep in your mind for you this week, note it down. But let's just savor this, okay? Oh, Lord God, I pray as we dig into this hollowed ground prayer that you would just stun us you would awe us and you would move us we pray this in Christ's name amen when Jesus had spoken these words he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said father that's cool the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you Uh, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is eternal life. That you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, 
Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6. I have manifested your name in the people whom you gave me out of the world. Manifested the Father's name. It's, it's, he's revealed the Father's character. And the text tells us he's done those to uh, those whom the, the Father has given to him. Uh, those that have been, who have responded to God's gracious self-disclosure through Christ. Manifested. Manifested means that, or does not mean that Jesus just came and like threw out a bunch of concepts for people to try and figure out like math equations. Manifested doesn't carry this idea that Jesus just blurted some new ideas and put them on the table. Manifested carries this idea that he sought to take it and these truths and this reality and allow it to be weaved into, that it would submerse into the very soul of people's minds and their thinking. Manifested. You got the picture? Not just declared. And Jesus has come to manifest the Father, to manifest himself. Among all people. It's not just about a series of creeds that you might know. It's not just I believe there's a God. Fact of the matter is, is that I believe there's a God and it changes everything in my life manifested. I have manifested your name your character, who you are, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So much theology in there, but I just want to stay with the prayer. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Look at this. Look at this. Verse 9. I am praying for them. Please understand in verse 6, everything has changed. He's no longer praying about himself for himself. He is praying for his disciples. And what a cool concept. I am praying for them. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son in the flesh, makes that statement. And here the disciples are hearing that. And I wonder if later on, if they really got the depths of what that statement is. Hey, listen, that's how relational God is. That the Savior is praying for his men. That's relationship. He doesn't give them a test. He doesn't say that they have just passed the quotient test and gotten all the answers right and so, okay, we'll let them on in. No, 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 no. It's, it's they're mine. Uh, they're mine. They're in me. They're in you. And, and I am praying for them. I'm manifesting you and I'm manifesting myself unto them. Listen, uh, Christianity is all about relationship. It's not about a, a series of facts that you can restate back. I am praying for them. 
Here's an interesting statement. Spend the day on this one. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. D.A. Carson says the world can be prayed for only to the end that those who now belong to it might abandon it and join with others who have been chosen out of the world. Uh, this is about praying for his men, and, and yet the reality is, is what, uh, can I just say this, as you pray for friends and others whom you know don't know Christ, what you really need to be praying for them is that they would come to know Christ. That's what it's about. Otherwise, everything else is just irrelevant, fading away over time. Verse 10. All mine are yours. <laughs> That's relationship. He, he doesn't go, you know the guys over there? Hey, Father, you know, the, you see the guys over there? I, I really don't know who they are. In fact, I don't really care. Or, you know, the numbers? You know, number six, number eight, number nine, we kind of lost number seven. But, you know, he's not doing that. Uh, Jesus is calling his disciples, they're mine. Mine. They're, they're, they're mine. That's relationship, isn't it? Listen, you say that to your children. If you have children, you go, they're mine. If you're married, you go, you know, she, he, he is mine. If you have a, a cat or a dog, it's mine. It's ownership in what's happening here. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world. Man, I'm glad my Savior knows where I'm at. And I am coming to you. Hey, do we have that attitude? Follower of Christ? You know, we look at this world and it's like, there's some cool things about this world. Let's be real about it. <laughs> but he is so jazzed about going back to the Father. Are, are you and I? Or honestly, have we become so in love with this world and all the stuff that it provides that we would miss it so much that the idea of being with the Lord is like, oh, I guess I have to. Hmm. Look at the next statement. Holy Father. It's very interesting. 53 times in this evening that we have recorded from John 13 through John 17, Jesus uses the name Father in describing the first person of the Trinity. And in that, this is the only time he uses kind of an adjective with the term. Except for then, he also does it down in verse 25. Here in verse 11 where we're at, he says, Holy Father. By the way, holy, as we were singing, for me, one of the things that so helped me is holy means set apart. So we're going, set apart, set apart, set apart are you. And here Jesus before the, his man, he's going, set apart, Father. And then later in the text, he describes the father's, oh, righteous father. We don't see this kind of thing. And listen, I'm telling you, it's getting to the end. And here he's praying. And it's at a whole new level. Oh, set apart father. Oh, righteous father. Oh, man, we just see the heart and the relationship and the soul of Christ. Out. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be what? 
of all the things that Christ could be praying for. This is the center of the target. He's not praying that they would all have the same hobbies, that they would all enjoy the same stages of life together as buds. This isn't group hug time. I just pray that they like each other and they get along and they're palsies. That's not what this is talking about. He's talking about that they would be one. Uh, Let's keep looking. How? That they may be one, even as we are one. The one call is to be like that of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, Like that one is supposed to be modeled and lived out here amongst these ones. Is that how you and I think about this? Or are we more interested in friends and hobby buddies than we are being one like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Like that kind of one. Let's keep going. Verse 12. While I was with them, I... This is so cool. I kept them. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have also guarded them. And not one of them has been lost, uh, except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Look at the relationship. I've kept them. I've guarded them. I'm seeking to give them my joy. Joy. Are we defining joy from God as the Lord God makes my life warm and fuzzy and smooth and not complicated and without trials? Is that how we define joy? I actually have to say, I think far too often it is the reality. Are you feeling joy? Yeah, why? Because life's moving along well. I'm getting the bills paid and I'm getting along with friends or I'm getting along with my spouse and the kids or I'm, you know, I've got a good job and I'm joyful. That's interesting because an atheist can have that same feeling. This is talking about joy of Christ. By the way, right around the corner, here Christ is talking about that they would have my joy. And right around his corner is he is about to have his life beat out of him. And he's talking about my joy. This is joy like walking down the Via Della Rosa nailed to the cross. Joy. That's a supernatural joy. None of this wimpy I'm happy joy. That's the kind of joy he wants his people to have. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. 
sanctify them, complete them, perfect them, grow them more to become like Christ. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. And they also may be sanctified in truth. Hey, listen, Christ is keeping us and guarding us or has with the disciples, not for the purpose that they can then pull out of the world, but that they are in the world, but within the world for a purpose. God's people have not been given an excuse to pull away from the world and hide from the world over the time of their lifespan until heaven. We're not supposed to be the ones who run from things. We're supposed to be the ones who are in the world, living Christ in the world. Are you? Or do you have the mindset that it's just I gotta like hide in the corner until Jesus comes back and stay away from me? That's not the call. That's not the call. That is not the call. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. Say us. That's what this is talking about. First five verses, Jesus is praying to the Father in the one-on-one, if you will. And then he shifts his prayer for himself and that he shifts what we just read to his disciples. And now he shifts it and he's talking about us, those who would come to know Christ. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you driven the stake in the ground with him? By the way, knowing means relationship. And if there is no real relationship, you have to ask the question, is there really any knowing? And yet now he's praying for those who are going to come to Christ. If you know Christ, hear me right now. Hear me very clearly on this. Your Savior, who is about to walk out the door to the cross, this is the last paragraph statement of prayer for you and me, and we better hear it. This is not, this is where it's hollowed ground, and this is why I'm so intense this morning. This is the last prayer, if you will, like this kind of a situation. And now he's praying for you and I. You want to hear what he has to say? You want to hear what he's praying that we would be? Let's listen up here because I got to tell you, this is hollowed ground and our ears better be wide perked open because our Savior is praying something that you and I would become. Here we go. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples' word, that they may all be what? Of all the things that he could be praying for. This isn't just about the disciples. God, I pray that they stay as buddies. I love them so much. We spent three years together. One of them defected, and I just would pray. Would you keep them palsy-walsies? That's not what's going on. And here, Jesus, of all the things that he could be praying for, this is the center of the target. Look at this. That they would be one. How? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That is so John 13 through 34 and 35. 
Love one another as I have loved you, that all men will know you are to my disciples. I am telling you, all through this, friends, Jesus is so on target. There is a central thing going on. Love one another that you look like one. One like what? One like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, like that. This is huge call. We cannot get away from it. In fact, Jesus isn't even done talking about it. Just as you and the Father are one. Look at verse 22. The glory, the splendor that you have given me, I have given them. Does that not rock? Picture this. If you know Christ is your Savior, if there is real relationship there, the glory of the Son, the, the glory, the splendor that the Father has given His Son, the, the, the Son has taken that glory and placed it on you, follower of Christ, child of God. That's it's so change what we do with our lives. And then why do I talk the way that I do? Why do I have the attitude that I do? Why do I look at the things that I do? Why do I go to the places? Why do I act the way I act around people when I have the splendor of Christ put upon me? Are you kidding me? Step up to the table. That's how big a deal this is. This is the last words he prays for us. The glory that you've given me, I give to them that they may be, oh my word, what? Why does he give us the splendor of himself? So that we can know and have the ability to understand and live out what is one. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly (laughs) all together. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me, Father. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. That is relationship. That they may be one with me where I am to see my glory to see my splendor that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. I have to turn the page, which is really cool, to John 18. Look at the first part of John 18. When Jesus had spoken this words, these words, he went out. All week as I've been preparing for this, as I've mentioned, I've been trying to figure out, how do, how do you declare something like this? Jesus praying to the Father, I don't want to get in the way. This is hollowed ground. And I would just like to bring back this one thing one more time. We're to be one. Are you a one person? Uh, By the way, like the Father is one with the Son, like the Son is one with the Spirit, like the Spirit is one with the Son, like the Son is one with the Spirit is one with the Father, like the Son is one with the Father, like the Son is one with the Spirit. We're to be one like that.
let me ask a very pointed question. Do you care if you are that way? Do you care? I'm serious. I'm not trying to be insulting. But at the heart of things, do you really care if you are a one person like that with God's people? Because of the last things that Jesus prays, he prays that his people would be one. And I have to step back. I've asked myself this week, do I really want to be that? Am I really that serious about being that? Are you? I think the honest reality of it is we fit that in when it works for us. That is the wrong direction. This is to be what we are to be. And if your life is too busy to be able to be a one with God's people person, then you need to change your life. You need to reschedule priorities. You need to get your life working in a different direction. And I say this in love, in love for the Lord and in love for you and in love for his church. If you aren't, it's time to change. This is what Christ has called you to be, believer in Christ. Are you wanting to be that? And is your life therefore then structured to be that? I'm genuinely concerned that Christianity in America is fooling itself. And we are not this. For real. But that's what Christ prayed you and I would be. It's not easy. It takes purpose. It takes restructuring. And all I can do in this is to bring to light what Christ prayed and ask the question, are you wanting to be that? And are you going to be that? The choice is yours. Lord, I have been very direct today. I realize right now my words may have even turned some minds to resent what I have to say. The Lord, <laughs> it's so clear. This is what you prayed. That we would be this way. And Lord, I pray that we would have soft hearts to it. I think this is the kind of time where it really raises in my own heart and in our hearts the question of what are we really about? I don't like it when I look at times and the fact of the matter is 
your word confronts me with the truth that I and we are far too much about ourselves. You entered into relationship with us. And you have called to enter into a relationship with you. And that relationship with you has a call on it that we would enter into a relationship with your people. And that we would be a people that live one like you live one with the Father. Oh God, I don't even really know if I fully understand what that's supposed to look like. I just fully admit it and put it on the table. But would you help me? Would you help us to understand what that is? And what that looks like? And oh God, would we grow in this area that we here, even just for this church, we would become a church that is more grasping the reality of what it looks like to be a people one on fire for Christ. Loving one another. And that means sometimes bagging some of the things that I might want to do in order to be able to do the things that you have called us to do. May we have the guts and the help from the Spirit of God to name that and call that and be that God. You pray we prayed we would be this. Oh Lord, may we hear your prayer upon us and be it. Thank you for equipping us to be it. Thank you for expecting us to be it. And God, thank you for calling us to be that. In Christ's name.